Sutra 25, the first Bhumi, the highest wisdom is sevenfold. The act of creation is an attempt to enter a mysterious realm, a longing to transcend. What we create allows us to share glimpses of an inner landscape, one that is beyond our understanding. Art is a portal to unseen worlds, said forgiveness. These cats sure knew a lot, so I guess you could say the cats took me by surprise. Why, I'd never noticed it before. But they were Zen masters, and they could experience life without a storyline. Me, on the other hand, I'd gotten my life trapped in an extravagant maze. How had I gotten caught in so much confusion and ignorance? How had I lost track of the way? The closer I got to the mountain called Kailash, the more my soul felt the presence of an ancient sage. I could not see any individual person, but as if magic descended upon me, certain features about my appearance started to change. A beard had grown rather quick, and my urge for personal desires began to die. It was not I alone here, and when I looked out above, I saw hundreds of blackbirds high in the sky. These birds circled the mountain, Yes, Kailash was like a temple with four sides, a near-perfect pyramid outlined with four ridge lines. There was no way to the top, but I did notice human souls walking around. They journeyed with mindful steps as they lowered to their knees before they bowed down. With their hands forward, they prostrated their body flat. I saw the essence of a ritual cleansing, and maybe they knew the path. As I walked toward these people, they did not care that I arrived. These were real humans walking around a spiritual center, and so I remembered it was I who had died. Now I could not speak their language, nor would they care to hear what I had to say, but I was still curious to follow them, just in case they knew the right way. Day after day, I felt like all we did was pray. They had arrived in every moment and they lived as if they were offering the grace of every moment away. Giving it all back, they would bow the body flat, a humbling gesture on the barren earth, as they did not use a rug or mat. These people were covered in dirt, as they too were fragments of the earth. I came to learn from these modest souls to see how they had arrived here through their birth. As I followed them, I realized this bowing was a type of ritual and so they prostrated their body flat in a ceremony known as the Korah, which stretches on about 32 miles. The act of prostrating was a spiritual cleanse, or maybe a way to cultivate great patience. I could feel myself aging gently, and I saw this as a spiritual transformation. It seemed as if my life was falling apart, and so my old soul got so heavy, each layer of me began to droop and sink the foundation of my soul felt so weak and weary. The first Bhumi is connected with the third river, which is the path of seeing. At this level, the Dharma is actually seen. You could say that the first Bhumi is the loss of ego's virginity. It is as if until now, you have only heard stories of the pleasure of sex, but now you are actually experiencing it. There is both apprehension and openness. 
it is very powerful and personal. At the level of the first Bhumi, a hint of meditation and action begins to develop. Your intellectual approaches to life and your personal experiences of life become one huge awareness. You no longer discriminate between the experiential and the intellectual. The whole thing becomes completely one. Having gone through that process, there is enormous joy and celebration. The ground of the divine path is an attitude of openness and the willingness to communicate and work with both yourself and others. Such an attitude comes about through training in the human path to realize peaceful abiding and superior awareness, which automatically evolves into compassion. You don't hold a grudge against anybody, whether you think your grudge is right, good, or logical, but you maintain a peaceful state of being. In the divine path, which is the great vehicle, this stage of the path emphasizes the practice of compassion and the realization of both the self and the phenomena as vast openness or emptiness. It is the path of the Bodhisattva, the practitioner whose life is dedicated to help others on the path to freedom. Now here the basic understanding of shunyata is important. Shunyata is like the breath. If you don't have a breath, you are dead. Shunyata is where we begin, said forgiveness. The wind began to blow, and I felt the power of its force. I could not see her, but I was aware of her presence. Om, wind horse. Now the first boomy is called very joyful. It is analogous to a treasure mine, where you might find jewels such as diamonds, rubies, and emeralds embedded in the coal. It's like digging for jewels from the earth. On the first boomy, the path is both philosophical and experiential. You do not go to either extreme, otherwise you lose the other. The Dharma teaches you how to be a good citizen, a good straightforward person. This path is called the middle way, because they are committed to both the human world and the divine way at the same time. There is enormous potential to raise the consciousness of all sentient beings, and particularly human beings. All the abilities of human beings who are in the land of karma, all their intellect and intuition could be raised up to the level of being immaculately clean, pure, powerful, and energetic. They could develop spontaneously, without straining. What is known as Buddhism is regarded as humanism because it develops human abilities. The discoveries made in the first Bhumi are fantastic. On the first Bhumi, for the very first time, you begin to feel that you have been caught, like a ring caught by a hook. There is a sense of saving grace, as if somebody threw down a hook and pulled you up out of the turbulent ocean of confusion and ignorance. You realize something is actually happening in your path. Because of this understanding, the first Bhumi is called extremely joyful. The myth begins to become reality. Something is beginning to work. At the level on the first Bhumi, you have no choice. What you have seen is fantastic and beautiful. So how could you go back into the dungeon of the confused world? The coming together of the hook of compassion and the ring of devotion is based on the idea that what you're doing is real. I think that the great joy of the first Bhumi really means that what you are doing is real. Because something is beginning to work, 
your practice automatically becomes that transcendent virtue of generosity. You are so relieved, confident, and overjoyed that you wouldn't mind giving away anything. Having arrived at the other shore, what you arrive with is material, psychology, and spiritual generosity. Generosity is unbiased. You give without discrimination. It is a bit like being a drunk, generous person. But if you are drunk, you regret your generosity along with your hangover the next day. In this case, there is no hangover. It is continual joy. There is a way to practice generosity that may be unknown to you. You could just behave in a way that is generous, rather than being generous for a reason. You could develop the kind of unconditional discursive mind that triggers this kind of attitude. That is precisely what is brought out by experiencing the feeling of openness or emptiness. You could be generous to somebody because you are intelligent enough to see that the person needs help, not because it is a good thing to do, but as a natural, almost a physical reflection. And if you feel like a do-gooder, you could acknowledge that and work with your openness discipline, said forgiveness. And this understanding, I realized after enough bowing and prostrating, there could appear a gem or jewel. I hadn't found one yet, but I also wasn't surprised since I arrived like a fool. Going along the path, I became quite a professional of the way. I was no longer a newcomer as I was even more mindful of the things my thoughts would say. And there I began to discover that Kailash was not something that could be climbed up, but you could find union and maybe go through. And so the spiritual center called Kailash, the mountain, is something we can tune into. The tremendous pleasure and appreciation of the first Bhumi still has a faint feeling of the realm of God. You have not yet cut through the cause and effect to meet God. You are relating with the absorptions to see into the realm of pure God. But this is not the same as what is known as a pure land. Pure lands are said to be at the seventh Bhumi level not the first. Being in the vicinity of God is nice, but it's not quite freedom. There is still some self-consciousness to the experience of joy. Due to the fact that the idea of joy is conditional, there is a sense of completeness, a quality of absorption, and so much appreciation that you are almost hypnotized. You would like to sit back and relax. The joy and appreciation that everything is sharp and clear and beautiful is okay, but as a kind of delayed reaction, you begin to hold on to it or try to find some way of sneaking back. That little attempt to hang on, that quality of joy is where the quality of God begins to come in, a yearning, or a faint watcher starts to develop. With true absorption, there are no gaps, it is total. Absorption is indescribable. You don't go around making confessions and describing it to everybody. You just are it, said forgiveness. Now as I looked to the humans, it was who I was, but still I could not understand why there was so much suffering in human life beyond just pure and open love. Reflect on the Four Noble Truths, which explain that life contains suffering, the origin of suffering, the end of suffering, and the path out of suffering. Until you enter the first Bhumi, a sense of complete conviction develops. You will be unable to hear the Dharma properly and thoroughly. Although you may have been working very hard, 
you will not understand the Four Noble Truths. It is said that ordinary sentient beings hear this only partially, whereas those who are truly on the path hear it completely. Once you attain the first Bhumi, you have become the true audience of the Buddha. You realize that on the path of salvation, we know about how suffering should be understood, the origin should be felt. As you find yourself open more and more, you are examining the teaching of the Four Noble Truths all over again. Now you see and hear the Dharma immaculately clear and precise, as if you are able to hear the Buddha speak. Your approach to the Dharma and teachings is much greater, more sophisticated and powerful, because the Dharma is utterly felt. Because you are on the path of openness, you are able to see the truth about suffering, and you develop enormous patience. Because you are willing to wait, and wait, and wait to receive inspiration, you take a non-violent approach, with no aggression or speeding, and with enormous patience and clarity, you examine the truth of suffering as the true Dharma. You begin to develop a complete and full understanding of your state of mind. It is the full impact as when you eat a meal feeling satisfied. Finally, you reach a complete understanding without being particularly patient or impatient, but simply by remaining in the state of beingness or presence of the moment, said forgiveness. This presence, now how could it be described? It feels as if I climbed aboard Windhorse, and now we are along for the ride. Yes, the breath grew and grew, and so on I flew. Circling that mountain, I let go of whatever I thought I knew. By letting go, I allowed myself to be of expansive presence in the moment of truth. The highest wisdom in this stage is sevenfold. It is. When you experience the end of desire to know anything more, the end of the desire to stay away from anything new, the end of the desire to gain anything new, the end of the desire to do anything, the end of sorrow, the end of fear, the end of delusion, said Mr. Kismet. Awareness had grown, but there was nothing to be known. I myself was letting the ego part ways, and so there was a letting go. Here we come to the place where by looking to external or the material world, we are not going to gain the knowledge or wisdom we seek. Wisdom is a thing to be obtained from within by tuning in. Tuning in means to go in and understand our true self, to know thyself. If we do not know ourselves, we will make mistakes knowing other things. We should know with what glasses we are viewing the outside. Are they clean or colored? If they are colored naturally, we will see a colored world outside. We can't believe the world for this tint. A scale should be correct itself before trying to give the proper weight of objects placed upon it. If the scale is wrong, the weight will certainly be wrong. We must see the mind in a neutral position so it can judge things properly. The second understanding is that all experiences of pleasure and pain come not from the outside but are the interpretation of our own mind. The mind makes these experiences and creates these feelings. If this understanding comes, all miseries and pains are over. We will see we are not pinned by any externals and that nothing can make us unhappy. When we know that our mind is the cause of these pains, we will try to correct it rather than blaming the outside world or other people. 
we will feel no need to seek after things, nor to avoid them. The third position comes once you understand the mind fully, and with the neutral mind, attain cosmic understanding. You need not study anything for that. No books can give it. Many saints were illiterate. They never even knew what a school was, but we read their ideas even now. These were people who sat under trees, watched nature, and spread teachings. Their words are crest jewels now. Where did their learning come from? It came from within. There is a wealth of knowledge inside. The scriptures say, Know the one, by knowing which you are, will know everything. This understanding becomes without learning and is the third level of consciousness. The fourth step comes once we understand nature and its workings. We feel there's no longer anything to be done. If we understand the cosmic plan, we rise above all doership. There is no particular duty of us, no do's or don'ts. At that time, we are prompted to do things only because our minds are linked to the cosmic mind. There is no personal action. As we are prompted, we just do. We do not know why we are doing things and will not bother about whether they are good or bad. What is a must and what is not? There are no mustn'ts, nothing one must do, nothing one should or should not do. Whatever we do is part of the cosmic plan. That means, even though such a person appears to be doing something, really, he or she is not doing anything and becomes the non-doer. A Tamil saint put that idea into a poem and said, O oh Lord, I gave you my entire personality, body, mind, and life, and you have accepted it. If there is anything happening through my body or mind, am I responsible? Good might happen, bad might happen, but you are responsible. You make me do this. People say, he is a bad man, he is doing bad things, but you know that is not I who do it. It is you working through me. You will only hear words like that when you are completely in the hands of a higher will. It is very easy to stand in front of the altar and say, I am thine, all is thine, thy will be done. But do we really feel that way? Have we really completely given ourselves up? In such a state, there are no duties for us. All our duties are God's duties. We are not responsible. But this state cannot be merely an intellectual understanding. If that is the case, we can even slap someone on the face and say, it is all God's will. I gave God everything. Even my hand has been given to God who is using it to slap you. Some people, when their businesses do well, say, we really know how to do business. We bought this at the right time. Now we see the 10% increase in sales. And if their businesses do badly, they'll say, my goodness, every day we burn candles for God who has no eyes at all. There is no point to believing in God. If God were merciful, why should we have such a great loss? When profit comes, they are responsible. When loss comes, God seems to be responsible. Our attitude should be constant. Either we are all responsible for everything, or God is. We should always blame it on the big I or the little I, but not whichever is convenient at the time. If we want to be egotistic, we should be egotistic for everything. Even if someone abuses us, we should feel responsible for that abuse. 
either we should surrender completely to God's will, or use only our will. The fifth plane is actually an after-effect of that understanding. Once we come to know there is nothing to be done, the mind is completely free of impressions. It is liberated. Because it has the tinge of ego, it acted as it wanted. Once that is separated, it just becomes a humble, simple mind, completely free of impressions. And, although old impressions remain, they lose their capacity to disturb the mind. In the sixth level, the mind patterns lose itself. The mind is completely chucked off. When the mind gets totally dissolved, the seventh and last plane remains. This is when nature alone remains. Beholding the self by the self, one is satisfied in the self. This is the highest samadhi. We should all know what these things are, because one day we will reach that state. As they happen, we will see the signs. Some people are frightened by the unexpected. If they suddenly lose physical consciousness in meditation, they feel that something is happening to me. Am I going to die? And so they disturb their meditation. Instead, if we know these signs, we will welcome these things. These things mentioned before are the different stages along the yogic path. Once the first stage is achieved and we learn to go within without expecting anything from the external, we have caught hold of the first link or thread. Then it's only a matter of pulling in order to get all the threads. But first, one must be present. Some people waste thousands of years searching for spiritual light. But if only we look within, we will see the light as we were seeing our own image in a mirror. Turning inside means turning the senses within, trying to hear something within, see something within, smell something within. All art is inside of us. Why should we search when we are it? We must keep work in hand, but God in mind. But things like books are aids which we should not hesitate to let go of when they are no longer useful. It's like crossing a river with a boat. Once you get to the other side, you tie the boat and leave it. You don't take it with you. Symbols like this should be used to help you transcend them. With the help of the mind, we transcend the mind. We should make use of these tools and symbols. We must digest it. You can even give it to someone else when you're through with it. That should be our attitude. Once we reach the first step, we are on the first stair that takes us to the seventh stage, said Mr. Kismet.